0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron, and Byron. Before we get into all the news and information on the show, let the listeners know why they should be listening to Politically Entertaining every week.
1: Oh man, there's so much going on, and right now, for the last two month, two months now, if you watch, you know, the typical big three news networks, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, they're pretty much only talking about the coronavirus. And we're going to give you a lot more on this episode in particular. But in general, we try to, you know, find those stories that aren't covered as well in mainstream media. So we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, before we do, I wanted to ask you, I know you're not a big, well, I know you don't listen to music the way you used to, so to speak. But on, uh, Instagram, there have been these different battles, Erica Badu and Jill Scott, uh, Babyface and Teddy Riley, which, uh, went off horribly. Jagged Edge and 112, Ludacris and Nelly. They just pretty much are like getting on Instagram and they're playing their top songs, their hits, and people have been joining them and almost like a, a virtual concert. Uh, have you, uh, watched any of these? And if so, which ones have you enjoyed? And if you haven't, what are the two artists that you would like to see have one of these uh, versus IG battles?
0: Man, that's a really good question. So yeah, you're right. Um, I haven't been listening to as much, um, I would say, secular music, and I don't want to get into all that on this thing, but I have enjoyed secular music in the past, and so I'm not like one of those weirdos who say, oh, you shouldn't listen to it. It's just where I am now, currently. But what I will say is I have not been watching now. I heard all about the Teddy Riley, Babyface, and how crazy the first one was and how uh, Teddy Riley had to have a live band and <laughs> the sound wasn't playing and, and then and then actually I'm on a i am on I was on a podcast with my cousins and they were talking about how Babyface basically, even in the second take, just demolished Teddy Riley because he had basically like all these hits. Um, and, and so that kind of thing. But it was it was pretty cool, um, Just just kind of hearing I've heard the feedback of some of them. I haven't been, like I said, interested in watching. I guess if I was going to hear a Versus Battle, I would say, let me, um, and it may have already happened, I don't know, I would say somebody like, um, I'm, I'm going to try to find somebody who I'm currently listening to and, and give and have some fun with it. Maybe, um, can can I get maybe like a Tasha Cobb and like a Marvin Sapp or something, like, I like some gospel, a good gospel. Um, mash-up or mix or whatever I think I think that would be really cool that's kind of a lot of what I listen to so I'd say um I don't know if maybe Tasha Cobb I don't know if it's gonna be marvelous but definitely Tasha Cobb and somebody um somebody else of her ilk uh maybe up there with her but that's what I'd be kind of interested in but um what I think one thing I will say is I have watched is during during the pandemic there have been a lot of artists um who have done like the little mini concerts and I've really enjoyed some of those so I think that what we're gonna see—I know you didn't ask this question—but I think what we're gonna see coming out of this is you're gonna see a little bit more of this kind of pop-up concerts or or these live battles because people are gonna say, hey, especially if you can find a way to maybe you know charge entrance into it or do a way you know make it exclusive, get people into it. Um, that that could be a way of having something where hey, it may not be feasible to you know book the Verizon Center or the Capital One Center—I don't know what the name of it is now—but you know. Going forward, so just just my thoughts,
1: but um, that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, I um, so I haven't gotten to the point in my quarantine days to where I have sat down and watched one of these battles, because to me it's like just listening to a playlist. Uh, nothing beats going to a, a real live concert, as you and I have done before. Uh, so shout out to you uh, when we went to go see uh, Bruno Mars. But I did hear that a favorite rap group of mine, eight ball at MJG. There's, there's word that they may be doing a battle with, uh, UGK. So that may be the first one I'll partake in, but I think your idea, I don't know if there's been a gospel battle, but if there hasn't been, that's a great idea, especially like on the, on a Sunday night or whatever, like a lot of people haven't been able to go to church and they, I know a lot of churches have been doing it virtually, but I'm sure people are craving hearing that type of music. Um, So I think that would be a great idea, man. Uh, But just wanted to see what you thought and what you have been checking out, man. And uh, I know the listeners have been as well. I've been seeing a lot of comments on it. But with that said, let's get into the show.
2: Listening to Politically Entertaining Your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your host, Frank N. Byron.
1: All right, we are back, Politically Entertaining. You can check us out on all major podcast platforms. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, as well as uh, Google Play. Uh, Pretty much any top podcast platform, you can check us out. So please subscribe. Uh, We are not doing these shows weekly, Frank and I are doing them when we can, so you don't want to miss out when a new episode drops out. If you subscribe, then you can know firsthand. So, as we get into this, Frank, um, we have a lot going on, as I said, at the top of the show. The hottest topic right now, as we record, is the death of George Floyd, 46-year-old man born in Houston, Texas. He moved to Minnesota Uh, according to his family to better his life uh he was a friend of former nba star stephen jackson and he so it started with him the 911 caller of the the store that he was in they accused him of trying to purchase i believe it was cigarettes with fake with counterfeit money so they called the police and they complained that he was drunk as well so when the police arrived they arrested him now, according to the police, they're saying he resisted arrest. The video that is available now does not show George Floyd at any time resisting arrest. As a matter of fact, you know, they put the cuffs on him and then walk them to a car that's like way across the street when there's one car already there. Like usually when you have a suspect, you want to get him in the car as soon as possible to the closest car as possible. So there was no resistance now. Another car pulls up as they cross the street, and they're about to put him in the car, and you can't quite see what's going on. But from the video that's available, there is no resistance. Even with that said, let's say he did resist. There's a six-minute video that most of you have probably seen where Officer Derek Chauvin has his knee on this man's neck, and the man is saying he can't breathe. The other officer that is in view isn't doing anything about it other than telling the, the group of onlookers to get back. And people are pleading with this officer. He's an, okay. If he was resisting, he's not right now. Can you please get off his neck? They're like begging this officer to get off his neck. And all of a sudden this guy is not breathing. He's not, he's not uh, talking to anything and his eyes are closed. And that's where we presume the death took place. So, I said all that to say this because I'll get back to we'll talk plenty of George Floyd in a minute. The officer has been arrested, by the way. And as we record this on Friday, May 29th, there are news reports coming out that officer well, former officer Derek Chauvin worked with George Floyd as security at the same club. So it's possible that they may have known each other, which brings a whole different uh aspect of the story into it. But this is what I want to ask you, because before this happened, we had um, a gentleman by the name of Christian Cooper in New York in Central Park, of all places. We have talked about Central Park a lot. But Amy Cooper, no relation is in there. And I guess she didn't have her dog on a leash and he complained about it. And he started videotaping her. She calls the police on him and starts this fake crying and all of this stuff. And I'm just noticing a trend because for a while now we've seen white people call the police on black people for the most frivolous things. And I wanted to ask you this and, of course, get whatever you have to say on this whole George Floyd, George Floyd situation. But I wanted to ask you this. Am I being too far fetched when I say Amy Cooper and the, and a lot of people like her that call the police on black people for and I'm talking about extremely frivolous. Things. I'm not talking about like they genuinely feel threatened. I'm talking about extremely frivolous, like selling lemonade, barbecuing uh, in the park, things like that. When white people call the police on black people, given all of the deadly encounters that we have seen on video in the last eight to 10 years, am I too extreme when I say the Amy Coopers of the world who fake cry when she gets the police on the line? do they want an outcome like George Floyd when they, when they're calling the police on these black men, because it I'm starting to feel that way. So talk me off that ledge. If I'm going too extreme and give me your thoughts on George Floyd.
0: Um. Oh man. Um, what do I, what do I begin? I'm, I was going to say, you know, it's one of those things where I don't know if I can talk you off the ledge, you know, I'm not, um, we've had some doctors for mental health professionals come on, so you may have to have them come back because I don't know. Because this is really shaking me up too as well, And 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 in all seriousness. um, I will say this. I'll start here. I will say that the type of incident that happened with Amy Cooper in Central Park, that's actually even more dangerous, even though I understand George Floyd died, so I'm not trying to – I'm going to get on that in just a minute. But, see, the thing is, we know – for those of us who know police and understand the slave patrol, understand the genesis of the, the evil seed that was the slave patrol, or the genesis of the police and the things of we, so I will just get down to that where there's been an evil root at the police policing forever, and so I'm not shocked that it has never stopped because the principality that's behind the evilness that is is going on with the police and crooked policing has never been stopped because. It's a principality, meaning it's an unseen thing. And for those of you guys who've heard me talk and, you know, I'm, I'm not getting religious as much as I'm getting real, like true, to real talk. The unseen world is more real. Principalities can't be legislated out with laws. That's why this stuff keeps happening over and over and over again. Now, what's I'll leave that there for a second. Now, what's really, really interesting with the Amy Cooper is. The fact that there are people, as you mentioned, different people, not just her, there's been other people who have called people about tenants, about people coming in, do they live in this building? Do they, do like the lady, there's a man who called a woman who was at a pool one time, wanted to see her card key. So we've seen different incidents happen. Waffle House, different things. Um, and what I'm, what I, I guess what I what we keep seeing is there is an extermination mindset going on with some of these people. Now, I'm not saying it's all people because there are a lot of, I will say this, there are a lot of people who are non non black people and i include that to be latin people white people who are really trying to step up in this wake of this and they're really and there's even there's even a movement called uh Faithful America which i didn't know existed where they actually are people who are christian they are mostly a kind of a, a non non black based christian thing that looks at minority injustice and and really comes and condemns the church for not coming out against it so I think we also have to recognize that there are people who are working for the good. But what I will say, going back to the Amy Coopers of the world, people like that, they are very dangerous. They're the same kind of people that got Emmett Till killed and put yes. at the bottom of a river. So mm-hmm. that that kind of um, attitude, that kind of like, oh, I'm a cry wolf on a black man, that's very dangerous. In fact, I've had conversations, and I won't say the person name, very, very good friend of mine, very sharp guy. And he used to joke around and say, you know, I don't look or talk. To white women because I don't want them to say anything. And and, and for me, you know, growing up, you know, I've in had interactions. I never had an interaction like that with a white woman that was that was negative, you know, so to speak. And so I kind of was always kind of like, why are you being paranoid? And today he texts me. He said, now you see why I feel. And I was like, man, I can't even. I'm not gonna argue with you again. Like I, I understand what you're saying. Like when you see that kind of thing, that woman would cry wolf, knowing like you said, that an outcome almost like she wanted that to happen. Like she she was in the wrong because her dog was on a leash. And she felt like to make herself feel better, to assuage her guilt, she would go and try to make up something so this guy could either be arrested or even worse, so that she could continue to do wrong. How evil is that? Yeah. How evil is that? Like, what what kind of monster are you that you would even want to do that to somebody who asked you to do the right thing? I mean, I'm not I'm I'm not on the George Floyd yet, but. George Floyd was under suspicion from doing a crime. Now I'm doing I'm going my I'm doing my whole white explaining here. But what I'm saying is when a man asks you to do what's right and you and you use the black card and say, Oh my god, how nefarious is that? Uh, it, it's it's sick. Now onto the George Floyd piece, I mean the the problem with that is you have you have too much where these cops have Allow themselves to be think they're above the law. They think that they've seen Terrence Crusher. they've seen Flavio Castillo, so they kind of rough these guys up, do whatever they want. They don't care. They're not thinking. They're they're basically thugs, right? Like we use that term, thugs, and you know, for black people, but they they are thugs. There's, there's a lot of thugs in law enforcement. I had an incident one time, um, and and, and nothing happened, right? I didn't you know get arrested or anything, but I there was there was an there was an accident. It was a four-way stop coming back to my old house where I used to live, and. It was not. Excuse me. It was a two-way stop, but there was an accident, so they were kind of treating like a four-way stop because the cop had stopped it and they had put some flares on the one side of the street, and the flares were not blocking where I was going. So I thought, you know, after after I, I thought I could pass once it was clear. This this cop was a white female. She. Was like you can't do that. She was like so aggressive. And the thing is, she was like there's flares. I was like, but I was thinking myself there's flares blocking the one part of the road. You can't go one way, but it doesn't there was no flares across the other side. And then the crazy thing was, if I thought I was crazy, my wife who I didn't tell about the incident, she came home the other way, and the woman was very rude to her. Now, do I think this woman's racist? I don't know. But what I'm saying is, there's a lot of cops who have a who have, who 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 are who escalate situations,
3: mm-hmm. and
0: they're the ones who are supposed to be protecting and serving and so like when I when I was talking to my wife the other night and I was like protect and serve protect and serve who protect and serve the majority culture they just forgot that last part of protect and serve because it's not for the the, the minority like it, it's it's like one of those things where it's 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 one of those things where I, it's funny how people will say policing is a dangerous job and, and they'll come and do all this ex- explanation but I'll say that even if I was a criminal, unless I, you know, unless I'm in the act of, say, murdering somebody, why am I being treated and killed with deadly force? Like, why are why are these things not these police officers don't know how to de-escalate anything? They are basically like throwing gasoline on the fire. And and, and, and so now we have a generation of of people where we're trained as black men to be like, we've got to be learning how to deal with. A, an untrained, supposedly trained police officer. We have we have to be trained in how to deal with an irrational person who's in authority. Like that's how we grow up learning how to be to to, to interact. And I think that part is sickening. So when people are coming with statistics and talking about you know whatever George Floyd did in the past and things like that, it's just like whatever he did. He should not be dead for what happened. People write bad checks all the time. And on top of that, let's not get on the fraud that's going on with COVID, right? All these executives who are paying themselves bonuses with the money they're getting from stimulus and laying people off. Like, is that not the biggest fraud? Some guy tried to pass a 20? Not saying it's right. But what I'm saying is we can't use the the, the, the petty crime and say that that's supposed to be death. And then we allow people to basically defraud a whole nation or organization, which is what we all often do, but we say that's cool, that's that's progress, right? But uh, you let, let, let a minority do it, then you know, oh man, we gotta condemn him. And so I just think that there's a lot of issues going on. I think there's a lot of people who are blind to the fact that they don't want to deal with the reality that they don't really want equality. They don't really want equity for everybody. They just wanna live how they wanna live and they, just, and they wanna ignore what's happening. And it's getting to the point where I believe that, especially when people who are, you know, we talk about the religious right and things like that, they are being exposed so, so much that it's like you keep saying you believe in God. Well, I go back and I've read the Bible a few times, I'm not saying I've read it more than else, but what I'm saying is one of the funny things is when God has the people of Israel and he's trying to, you know, come to them and reveal himself to them, he's always saying respect the foreigners, respect the oppressed, you know, have just scales, all these things he's always said. And then even into the New Testament with Jesus, he says, I give to you, you know, a new command, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what I'm saying is I find that very interesting because we don't see that at all. And and, and especially like, where is a religious, where are the religious right people when these things happen? They're all waiting for facts to come out. They're waiting for things to happen so they can justify another black body in the streets. And you know what? God doesn't like that. And that's not who God is. You don't have God's heart. And if you're on this, listening to this, and you're offended, then you need to repent. You know what I'm saying? It's not it's not on me because I'm not God. If you if, if you got mad at what I said, it was because what was inside of you told you, told you that you were wrong. And so I just want to say that with all respect to those people who are trying to make a difference. But for those people who are turning a blind eye, you are in error. Because this is wrong. This is this is not even I don't even know how to say this is so wrong. This is this is just a manifestation to me where right. I just feel like God is saying, I'm going to align and make it so clear who's on what side that you cannot no longer play that game of. Well, I believe I'm, I'm this and I'm that you're being people are being completely exposed into what who they what they believe, what they really worship. And what it turns out to is most people just worship money and power. And that's why we keep seeing this happen over and over again.
1: So in your answer, what stood out the most to me is how you said, you know, kids are being taught how to handle so-called trained profes- professionals when they encounter a uh, police officer. And, that, and that's that's sad. And I and I want to say this, too. Uh, blue lives don't matter. Not to the people who say it like we you know, we heard blue lives matter as a, uh, a countercry to black lives matter. But, you know, During this lockdown, I've seen a whole bunch of so-called Blue Lives Matter people in police officers' faces, calling them cowards, telling them how they're being uh, enemies of the state right now, and that they want to get a haircut, they want to go back to bars, they want everything to open back up. And it's like, what what happened to Blue Lives Matter? Blue Lives Matter—they only matter when they're when they're keeping Black people in check, when they're keeping people of color in check when they're caging uh, people that are crossing the border uh, in, in cages in inhumane places, when they're treating us like animals in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. That's when blue lives matter. Other than that, if they start infringing upon the so-called majority's rights, then they don't matter. And we, we've seen that time again. We saw it with our military, support the troops, support the troops. And the troops don't even get the proper equipment that they needed to uh, to fight in the wars that we send them to, so all of that stuff that you see is one big lie, and I I just like seeing it get exposed from time to time.
0: I, one of the thing I want to say about the all, the all lives or blue lives matter is that's also a way of um, trying to pass off people's guilt. They're they're trying to find a way, or what about black on black crime, and, or things like that? Like there's always a way for people to try to explain or try to mitigate the feeling that they're having, where this is so wrong, like this. This is so <laughs> sick. Like this country is built on lies. Like you killed the Native Americans, Native Americans were killed. You brought people over here to farm and make the land um, and make you wealthy and build generational wealth for you, strip them of all things. Then when, when, when blacks made progress, you just demolished everything after reconstruction redlined everything even now modern day redline they just don't say what it is but you can't get in certain communities you know because one you don't have the money to get in maybe if you you know make make a crazy leap like lebron james something you can get the money to get in but it's just like you know we come from from families where our parents didn't necessarily have you know even though we might have been middle class or whatever there still wasn't the 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 bankroll i wouldn't say bankroll but there's there's certain advantages that came even, even without money that come through through being in the dominant culture. And and, I, and I'm not naive enough to even think that if it was reversed and black people were in charge, that people would be better. I think human nature is just sick, but I'm just on one side of it. So I'm calling it out on the side that it is. And I'm hoping that people on the other side of it realize that, hey, we need to step up. I saw that Joe Burrow made a comment, uh, the, the new quarterback for Cincinnati He said that you know, I'm seeing some pretty strong, he said, you know, we need to support the black community and, you know, and, and saying that we have, you know, we've been turning a blind eye now, whether or not he does something, I don't know. But what I'm saying is we, we have to get in this conversation where, you know, it wasn't until, you know, white people started coming in freedom riders and marching on the bridge that things, and I'm not saying that we know, I I don't want to make this into like a, you know, this white person, savior trope. Jesus wasn't white or anything like that. Right. Like he wasn't. But what I'm saying is, the majority culture needs to support this change. They need to be behind it. They need to take the blinders off and realize that this injustice—it's your—it's—it's going to be your judgment. Like whether or not you think it is, you want to just get back to normal. You want to ignore everything. That's going to be your judgment for eternity. So wake up. I'm just saying, wake up and pay attention. And and I, and I say that um, not in a threatening way. I say that in, in the most honest way possible that this is this this time and these things are happening to reveal the character and the hearts of man and where will we or what side will you choose to be on
1: so we are a political show and we are in a uh, political year season whatever you call it we have an election that um, unless anything changes, That's coming up in about five months. And Joe Biden is pretty much the official, unofficial Democratic nominee. He was on. uh, He was doing an interview with Charlemagne of the Breakfast Club. I refuse to add the God part, but he was on with an interview with Charlemagne. And the big thing that came out of that interview was what he said at the very end. uh, Joe Biden, that is that you ain't black if you don't vote for me. And that's what's been getting all of the coverage. But I wanted to go a little deeper into that interview because I'm seeing a whole hold the vote, hold your vote campaign going on. I'm also seeing a lot of people saying, hey, there's no difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And I kind of want to I want to add to that for a moment. So while I do think that there is a huge difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, here's why people have ammunition on Joe Biden. Joe Biden has has said that you can barely go to any 7-Eleven in Delaware and, and find someone that can speak English working the counter. Joe Biden, we know, led the Anita Hill hearings and all of that that uh, surrounded that. Joe Biden once referred to Obama as the first smart and clean black politician that we've ever had, whatever the hell that means. He, he, what, beyond the whole you ain't black comment, the two things that stood out to me the most in that interview was one, he still defended the three strikes rule, the three strikes law that he wrote and, and helped pass. Like mostly everybody has pretty much backed away from that. He still defends that. And he kind of took a shot at Hillary. I don't know if he uh knowingly did it, but, uh, When Charlemagne told him, hey, you can't go by the polls, the polls in 2016, you know, told us one thing, but then the other happened. And and Biden responded, you know, look, 2016 was different. Trump had no serious opposition. So you can say, oh, well, he was talking about the Republican candidates that ran against Trump. But no, he still had to face Hillary. So you're pretty much saying she wasn't in serious competition. So that's what I got from it but this is what I want to ask you. Is there a false equivalency with taking the comments that he said, you ain't black, like people are saying, see, he's no, he's no different than Trump. He's just as racist as Trump for those that think Trump is racist. Do you think they're the same, or are people creating this false equivalency with the former vice president?
0: A couple of things I want to clarify. I think I've said this a few times. I don't believe Donald Trump is a racist. I believe he is a narcissistic megalomaniac who will use any means to keep himself um, secure and in power. And so he, by his ridiculous comments and things, has has basically put him put racist put racist people around him. Stephen Miller is a big racist. And and but and so I mean I'm not saying that he doesn't. I'm not here to defend him. I'm just saying that I think that he is just is is his own monster. Um, but with that being said, Joe Biden didn't do himself any favors in making that comment because there's been a lot of people who kind of at the end of the the last campaign run with Hillary, they were kind of burnt out, there were some black voters getting burnt out on the Democrats, right? Like they were kind of saying, I don't take our vote for granted. So I think that that kind of spoke to that, whether or not he meant it to or not, it's going to, perception is reality, right? You think about Mitt Romney and the 47%, right? That came back, and I think that hurt Mitt Romney. Um, and, and when you think about Mitt Romney versus Obama, Mitt Romney wasn't a terrible candidate. I think Obama was better, but at the same time, I mean, those comments hurt Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney had a chance to win. Now he didn't, and it doesn't matter. But what I'm saying is certain things that are said, and at least, and the thing about Mitt Romney was, it was kind of filmed at a, he didn't know it was necessarily gonna be aired, whereas Joe Biden, to me, we are on an interview with Charlemagne. You've been saying something like that. You know it's going to get on be on wax and it's going to get airplay. So I will say this. I will say that they are not the same. I mean, I I, I could have said that at the beginning they are not the same, just because you know Joe Biden is old and I think he's getting a little bit senile, which is kind of concerns me a little bit, honestly. But I think that you know he, I mean Donald Trump is is we never seen anything like Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not a politician. Donald Trump, like I said before, is a megalomaniac. He is a narcissist of the highest order. Like he is not, he's just in the office of president, but he doesn't, he's not, he's not a politician. And some people think that's great. And some people think that's why some people voted for him. They think that's good. They think that he's some, some savior to the kingdom of God, which I couldn't disagree with more, but I mean, more power to you if you believe that and that's fine. But, but my, my thing is when it comes to Joe Biden, his biggest issue is one, I think his age. Two, he's got to he's got he's got to energize, you know, the minority base. And and saying if you ain't black, you ain't vote for me. It's like, well, what are you gonna do? Like just saying that, like, it's not enough just to be anti-Trump. We already been down that road. We th- people thought that was gonna be. They just thought that anybody but Trump was gonna win. But Trump again has a low low ceiling but a high floor. So his supporters are his supporters. So you've got to figure out a way to knock him out, you know, and you you know, you gotta get good games. Obviously, if you have a president that's as popular as say Barack Obama, he would slaughter Trump in the polls. But I don't know that Biden is 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 that I mean, we know Biden's not that popular. Is he more popular than Hillary Clinton? Probably. Hillary was pretty much hated, Hillary was a woman, let's be real too, that hurt her as well. So I think that Biden um, has a you know, some, some a little bit of an edge um, against him, but the fact that people can even make that statement to say that they're the same that's dangerous and that's damaging because you know we're in a weird time where who knows what people will do and who knows how things will just continue to play out because we don't know um and the thing about Trump is we already know for a fact that he 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 deals in misinformation like that's what he does it's like he's a, he's he like talk about the devil's father of lies. like He's the son. Right. Like he deals in lies like he he throws out lies and it just like sticks. It just works. Remember he called the things he said about Hillary. They stuck to her like Mm -hmm. even if they weren't true. So it's like Biden better be careful of of giving out ammunition that Trump can just, you know, turn around and use against him. Trump, um, as Van Jones said, when before Trump got elected, he said that this is the age of the social media president and nobody has ever done it better than Donald Trump. And now look at him. I mean, Biden can't compete with him on that level. And so, I mean, I don't really know. When you asked me who's going to win, you know, four years ago we had our show. We predicted Hillary would win and would be close. Mm -hmm. But this year, I don't have any idea. Because you're talking about mail-in ballots possibly, you know. You're talking about, you know, other types of issues, voting irregularities. Man, I don't know.
1: So so we talked about the crime bill that he wrote. He also supported we talking about Joe Biden, he supported the uh the uh it was called the anti-drug abuse act, but we know it as uh the whole disparity between uh someone being charged that that has crack possession versus cocaine. Uh what I take a big problem with was him working with Strom Thurmond in like 1983 uh on this asset forfeiture uh law that allowed local police Uh, departments to like seize any, anything that they tie to drugs, they can seize. And that's like, that usually only affects like poor communities and poor people. And they don't really have much to do with the drugs, but they still have to suffer. So I I have a big problem with that. But here's, here are the differences. So to me, Biden has passed a lot of bad policies and some of them I can like, like the whole three, the three strikes thing. Man, it was so many people for that. Like we had black leaders, churches, like crime was really bad and they wanted a solution. And I think it's easy for our generation to look back and criticize and say they should have known better. But I'm telling you, man, a lot of people thought that this was the right thing to do. I just hate that he's still defending. it. But with Trump, you know, he says, you know, both there were bad people on both sides during a a, a Nazi Klan rally. He's had the Ku Klux Klan or well, members of it at his rallies before when he was running for president. He's called peacefully protesting football players sons of bitches. While today and recently, he's criticizing the people that have been rioting in Minnesota and other cities, calling them thugs. So it's like, you don't want them to protest peacefully. You don't want them to protest that way. Clearly, you just don't want them to protest. Uh He refuses to apologize to the Exonerated Five as he wanted the death penalty for them. And, of course, we know he was found guilty on the House Discrimination. So, to me, his bad intentions have been more blatant, and maybe I'm just being a Joe Biden apologist, where Joe Biden has been kind of like trying to find a solution that turned out to be bad at the end. But I do get the people that say that there isn't a big difference. But I'm here to tell you that there is. Now, something you brought up, when you see him during interviews and debates, it does get a little scary. Like His age really seems to be affecting him to where he loses his train of thought mid-sentence. And to me, that is something to cause of concern. So something to watch, man. We'll see what happens. I, I will say this, though. You also said this, too, that uh, I think you said Van Jones said that Trump was the first president. To, uh, use social media the way that he did. And that's true. His tweets are way more important than any press conference he could give. It doesn't matter how many false statements he gives out there, how much the, the news covers it. All he has to do is send off a tweet and that's going to get more coverage than anything else. So he has to, he is the best at doing that. Uh, we're going to talk to, uh, Dr. Townsend now about several things, mainly COVID along with some other things. So it's a great interview. I think you guys should check it out. Listen, let's listen to it now.
2: Listen up, it's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview.
1: Joining us today on politically entertaining. She's been with us before in the past, so we are grateful to have her back again. Dr. Townsend, OBGYN at Community Hospital. Thank you for joining us today.
3: I am so glad to be here.
1: We uh with everything that's going on, oh, excuse me, with everything that's going on, we are especially uh happy to have someone in the medical field. Uh, so let's see what type of questions we can come up with. The first one I wanted to get into was uh in your specific area of medical practice were there any big changes with, with everything that's going on with COVID? Were there big changes that you guys have to, had to implement or was what you were doing already safe enough for you and your patients and you didn't have to make any big changes with what you do?
3: That's a great question. Um, we definitely have made some very significant changes, not only hospital-wide, but uh, specifically in my department. So, Hospital-wide, one of the things that changed is our screening process uh, for patients entering. Uh, the visitor policy was changed. I'm not sure hospital-wide whether they only decreased the number of visitors or whether they eliminated visitors. We are allowing one visitor uh, for our obstetrical patients. Um, everybody is screened with a questionnaire and temperature check. Everybody's required to wear a mask. Uh, What also has changed specifically to our unit is that even in labor, we are uh, trying to have our patients wearing a mask. Um, We are masked at all times with patient interactions. And when we have a high suspicion that someone may be infected with COVID, we have designated special negative pressure rooms in which to place them. Uh, We have much more protective uh, gear available, the PPE that's referenced. We've been fortunate to have an adequate supply, uh, but we still have to ration it just to be safe. Um, and uh, just to be clear, we used to have about four visitors per obstetrical patient prior to this, um, but now it's only one. And then we also changed our process in terms of if a pregnant woman is positive for COVID, we actually, uh, limit the contact between her and the infant ex- except for, uh, breastfeeding and they have to wear a mask and gloves if they're breastfeeding and their, uh, visitor slash support person, uh, who, I mean, the visitor support person has to be negative as far as our screening. They would, uh, take care of the baby otherwise and the, and we would limit the skin to skin contact between the mother and the baby except for the purposes of breastfeeding from, uh, the nursing, And physician point of view, if we have a COVID positive or a person under investigation, uh, we are wearing N95 masks, which are the very coveted, uh, hard hard to get uh, throughout the interactions. So um, those are, and also during um, cesarean sections, we're also wearing the N95. And then we're also fortunate that we we. We're able to institute some rapid testing. Originally, it was a, a pretty involved process, not a, I won't want to say a, a very long process, but you know, there is definitely much more of a delay in being able to test and a little bit more rationing on testing. Now anybody who's coming in for a scheduled delivery of any type is being screened for um, coronavirus. And then uh, anyone who comes in and labor also gets screened. So we have the testing now.
1: So so your answer kind of prompted a bonus question for me as you spoke about uh, visitors and, and how you guys are limiting them. So uh, as many of you, as you know, and many of the listeners know, like back in the day, pre-9-11, you could like walk all the way to the gate with someone that was about to uh, catch a flight. You can see you can see them all the way to the gate then. 9-11 happened. So now, unless it's like a special circumstance, you can't go beyond the security checkpoint. Right. They, they, they've limited who can go. Do you foresee hospitals across this nation implementing that change permanently to where you're not going to really be able to see loved ones, not just in your field, but in general, you're not going to be able to see loved ones or visit them in hospitals because of fear of COVID nineteen.
3: So I will say this um, as a as one who believes that we are definitely going to have uh, most likely several more spikes uh, slash waves of this. Uh, it's definitely going to at the very least likely permanently alter kind of the unchecked amount of visitors that have previously been allowed. So. Let me be a little bit more clear. We used to allow four visitors in the room at a time. Person might bring a whole posse onto the labor and delivery. They might have, you know, eight, 12 people. And the people in excess of four, we would say, go to the waiting room or, you know, kind of send them away and say, you know, you can switch out with the people in the room. So now you think in a pandemic situation, if we were doing something like that, that's madness. You know, having unlimited numbers of people swapping out, even if you put any kind of quota on it. So when we say one visitor now, it is literally the one person who comes in with you. That's it. There's no going down to the lobby and switching out, you know, between, you know, mother or mother-in-law and uh, spouse or partner. It is just one person the whole time. And I think that hospitals will really look at the safety Because visitors are often the biggest security risk. Look at the safety of limiting visitors permanently in some fashion. I don't know that they will want to completely eliminate the number of visitors, but we'll definitely be moving probably more towards a conservative model like you would see in an ICU where, you know, you only would have one or two people in at a time and, you know, potentially limit the number of people absolutely who are, uh, able to
1: come and visit. That's that's very interesting to me. So I'm going to be I'm going to be greeting and ask one more question before I pass it to your brother. He gets to talk to y'all the time. So I figure <laughs> I can ask one more real quick. And that is, you know, the administration and different leaders in this country have been severely criticized for how they handled it. And in my opinion it's been rightfully so, but I could be wrong. So I wanted to ask you was this inevitable in how it spread across this nation, especially when we had a heads up at what was going on in China and Italy? Uh, we kind of saw how it was happening there. Is there anything that our leaders could have done uh, to I guess, you know, handle it much better, or was this inevitable to where, because of how it spread so easily that there, there wasn't much we could do to stop it?
3: I agree with you, uh, Byron, that this could have been prevented and the single most significant thing that we could have done is testing, testing, testing. It all goes back to the testing. When other countries started screening people who were coming in, uh, when other countries contact traced, uh, people who had, who had come in uh, contact with, uh, individuals who were Persons under investigation are known to be infected. They had a much different uh, course of the illness in their nation than we did by letting it spread willy-nilly and then sort of half-heartedly testing, having had ineffective testing and not following through on trying to stamp out any pockets of infection. So if we had really focused on looking at who was coming into the country, because a lot of the bans that were put in place, I really don't believe in practice did as much as they are purported to have done. You have to screen and you can't have a thousand people clumped together in close quarters for hours in the name of supposedly screening them, and you're actually trying to halt a pandemic. You have to have effective testing. You have to use it early, and you have to use it often. And the fact that we did not put our resources there, not only has cost probably billions, trillions of dollars, it's also cost all of these lives and the lives that will continue to be lost because we still don't have our system set up the way that it should be for the actions that we're taking and reopening right now.
0: Wow, that was, that was good. Um, sometimes I'm like, man, that's my, that's my sister, but I'll address you as Dr. Townsend. Um, <laughs> sh- show respect. You are the, you are, the, she is the oldest in our family. We There's four of us and she's the oldest. So um, and she's never lorded that over us, just so I can say that. She, she's always been the smartest, but she's never lorded it over us, which is hard to imagine, but she has it. But I will say um, I do I do have an interesting question for you. So obviously you just talked about the laissez-faire strategy the United States kind of implemented with regard to, um, you know, enforcing the ban and trying to test and things like that. Well, Sweden went the exact that's a similar route, even more to the left, I guess, or you know, so you, so to speak, where they just said, hey, we're just going to kind of try to get a herd immunity going. And what was kind of interesting with the results of their testing was they were only a couple of percentage points higher with the herd immunity than, say, Italy or uh, China, who had severe lockdowns. So what does that tell you about the virus and, and its and its long-term spread or, or 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 the or the possibility of getting um, you know, a vaccine, like what, what does that tell you that a country that said, Hey, we're just going to have everybody together and see what happens. And then them not really faring any better as far as the, the immunity, the antibodies that were in the people that were exposed when they pretty much had everybody exposed, they had a pretty much the whole country running uh, on full throttle.
3: I will say I'm no immunologist. I'm no virologist, but I am concerned to say the least, about vaccine development and about all that we don't know that we don't know about COVID-19. Just to clarify, we've never made a vaccine for this type of virus. We've never made a vaccine for a coronavirus. So that's one. The other thing is that we've never developed a vaccine more quickly than four years in the past. And, you know, you would hope with the whole world Potentially working together, coordinating, uh, it's possible to equal that time. But because we've never successfully developed a, a vaccine for this virus, uh, this type of virus before, I'm a bit concerned. Uh, this virus is closely related not only to the, the more deadly SARS and MERS, but also to the common cold. And as you well know, there's no vaccine for the common cold. You just have to suffer through it. Um, and when they were working on vaccine development for SARS and MERS, they never finished because they were able to effectively contain it. Uh, and it it went away, except maybe into some pockets where it still exists. I mean, it certainly could recur, but it's considered to be controlled and contained. And so no vaccine development was continued. So even the information that we could have had potentially from developing a vaccine for uh, either SARS or MERS uh was lost um we really don't know how to quantify the immune response to this virus so there's just it's problematic on every level because you're talking about herd immunity but do we really know whether we will be able to measure actual immunity in the body's response whether this is a a you know a type of a uh, virus where you can be infected with it multiple times. Some people think that it's a testing problem, that there are so many false positives and false negatives relative to what we're used to in uh, our medical testing. Most of our medical testing, you know, you're in the order of it being 95 to 99% accurate. Now, all of a sudden, we're dealing with testing where you you have about 75% accuracy in a test. So we see many, many false positives and, and false negatives, and that's even included in the algorithm of how to deal with persons under investigation right now. So I don't even know how to be certain of what Sweden's herd immunity truly is relative to Italy's or Spain's uh, or in the United States, for example, because I am not fully confident of the testing. Uh, we don't even know if we're looking at the right thing. And I can say that as somebody outside. I'm outside of it, so I don't have any kind of bias to say, well, of course, we know what molecules to look at. I have every reason to be skeptical based on what I'm seeing. So there's that. The other is that uh, Sweden's population being more homogeneous, and I definitely believe healthier than, for example, the United States as a whole. Um I'm not necessarily mad at them for considering that as a strategy because it really does make a difference in terms of what resources you think that you're going to need to allocate to treat people for a disease if if at the point when they took their strategy on it was still widely believed that a, a younger healthier population would do fine and we really don't know why we see the exceptions that we do. There are people in their 90s and then there are even hundreds who survived COVID-19, and there are children who did not. There's young children who had an infection, symptomatic or asymptomatic, and now they're experiencing sequelae that are fatal or near fatal or at least very, very serious. We really just don't know what we're dealing with. This virus is Acting in everybody's body essentially as it pleases and we really don't know what is the cause. So I would say in hindsight, I don't know that anybody would want to spin that roulette wheel and say, let's just go for the herd immunity. But I think it's very concerning and very disturbing both for the question of the accuracy and the precision of our testing and also that we just have too many things that we do not know and do not understand about this novel Covid nineteen coronavirus.
0: Man, that was that was good. Go back and listen to that. Go back and replay that. This is politically entertaining. Um, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean. If you're not, if you can't find it, you're not looking hard enough. Um, this is. I'm on with the uh, renowned Dr. Townsend, um, <laughs> and I got another question. This is gonna this is gonna be a good one for you. This one is something that we've talked about offline. Is which is obviously we're we're African American. If you if you don't know. Um, if you've never listened to the show before, we are all African American, and so we are seeing higher numbers, of course, um, with people affected with COVID and higher death rate as well. Um, a couple. This is going to be kind of a two-part. The first part is, hey, you talked about a vaccine, but you know, I've also seen conspiracy theories with Black people like, well, I don't want the vaccine because what about when it first comes out and they, you know, what if they try it on the, you know more marginalized people first, which are the black people. Like there, there is, is you know, we, we've seen the Tuskegee Airmen. That is a real thing that is documented history, right? Where things have been tested on African-Americans in a, in a nefarious way. So there's that concern, right? The social concern of that. But then there's also the idea that what, if, if this virus was any more deadly, I mean, we're talking about, it could be wiping out not just more people, but a, a disproportionate amount of African-Americans, which it already is. But what can African Americans do in the wake of seeing this happen, where where we're being kind of again, um, I guess, left by the wayside by this virus? What are the things that you you can you can share with that the Black community could do in the future to fortify themselves um, in, in a pandemic, to take it you know seriously and be prepared? Uh, what are some what are some of the steps that um that that can that can be done?
3: So. I I just want to start by saying that there seem to be, as typically is when minorities, due to the effects of systemic racism, experience disproportionate disproportionate negative consequences to pretty much anything uh, that happens that is uh, catastrophic, the blame game starts and I would say that even though it was portrayed humorously, I've always felt that Black people and people of color were taking this uh, pretty seriously, and there was a lot less of a feeling that liberty and rights were being infringed on um, in terms of uh, instituting precautions. Now, that said, I think that social distancing should still continue. Um, I think that, I, and this might be controversial, and I could definitely be wrong, I think that um, even though when America catches a cold, uh, Black people catch pneumonia, in this type of scenario, we're catching it first. I tend to agree with uh, Andrew Cuomo when he said the reason why we're hit hardest is because we were the front line of people to be exposed to it. So I think because we've seen a very politically motivated backlash against trying to contain the virus, Um, And, you know, also inspired by fear and uh, economic weaknesses, but that probably could be a whole nother show. Um, People, you know, want to get out and about and and get everything going again. And we're going to see an increased morbidity and mortality in the majority population. It's not going to stay confined in the minority population. And if there is any um, uh, herd immunity to be had, you should start to see it actually in the minority populations first, um so that's just one thing I'm gonna say could be right, could be wrong, but that's how I feel about it. I think in general, as much as we can, just practicing good hygiene um in terms of hand washing, uh monitoring what people around us are doing, there's something to be said about the old joke of not eating at the work potlucks <laughs> uh, you know that. Though all of those things are are reasonable things to continue to do, it's really hard because we're, we're uh, in a position where, in general, we are more likely to be exposed to everything. Um, I don't blame anybody. I have hypertension. I don't blame anybody for being hypertensive or having any other medical condition. I would just say make sure if you are able to find someone that you trust that you are seeing, Um, a physician or a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant or someone to get a handle on what's going on with your health and to make sure to your best ability that you're taking care of that. Um, It also can help in certain situations if you are in some way plugged into a system. Uh, We all know as Black people that one of the problems that we face is that we are not often considered distinguishable one from another. So if you have a personal relationship uh, with a doctor or known in a healthcare system, that's only going to help you when somebody wants to dismiss your concerns as just another asthma attack or some other medical condition that you may or may not have under control. If you actually have a doctor that can advocate for you, that when you show up at the ER, you have already called your doctor. Your doctor has called the ER and said, this is Mr. or Ms. So-and-so. And I know this is not just their usual asthma exacerbation, I'm very concerned that they are infected with COVID-19 or something more serious. And that's gonna change the demeanor uh, of the uh, medical personnel that you encounter who may not know you if you have somebody to vouch for you. I mean, we unfortunately, as, as black people, we often find ourselves needing somebody to vouch for us. Our word isn't good enough. Our statements about knowing ourselves are not good enough. So if you have some sort of relationships in the medical field, that can literally save your life. But I can certainly understand if you, don't, if you don't trust. I would say, you know, if you limit your interaction with medical professionals, if you really can't find any way to enter the system in a way that um, you feel comfortable physically and psychologically and spiritually that you will be taken care of, then at the very least try to get the best diet that you can, try to get enough rest, uh, try to get some exercise. Try to get some fresh air if that's available in your community. All of these things are, are things that are often limited in our communities. Food deserts we live in, unsafe areas with violence, polluted areas. I mean, there was an incident in Chicago recently where some construction released a cloud of dust on a community, and that was very harmful to everyone's health. So, I mean, we really are facing uh, obstacles at every in every direction. So I would just say, you know, do the best that you can, try to get connected within the system. That could literally be a lifesaver if you have somebody to to go ahead of you saying, hey, this person is coming in, and I know this isn't just the the same old okie doke, you know, to, to allow more of a chance that you will be treated as a person and not just as an annoyance.
1: We are very delighted to have Dr. Townsend on with us. Um, in your first answer, you were uh, speaking about uh, how you limit, you, you may have to limit the contact of the newborn infant with the mother. Uh, how does this virus affect uh, the baby, the unborn baby, while the woman is still pregnant? Have you, are kids being born with, like, any respiratory issues, or, like, how does it affect them if a pregnant mother gets it and gives birth to a child?
3: So I will say people are studying uh what the effects of COVID-19 are in pregnancy. And frankly, we just don't have enough data. It's been associated with uh, miscarriages. Um, it hasn't been associated with specific uh birth defects or, or uh, congenital malformations. And uh, in what I've been able to uh, assess, it doesn't appear that it has, um, a particular effect on on newborns, you know some some studies say they've seen something, but in general, it's not thought to be risky enough that the mother couldn't breastfeed. Um, I I don't know personally how I feel about that policy. I, I feel like uh, if there's any immunity to be had, you would get passive immunity from uh, breastfeeding as an infant, and if you were inside. Of, you know, gestating inside of someone who had covid nineteen typically that would have conferred also some sort of uh temporary immunity so I think that it's just in an abundance of caution that these uh practices have been started, and less so because we actually have a definite uh a definite knowledge that newborns are affected or that Pregnancies are affected. Obviously, I would say if you are pregnant, avoid becoming infected with uh, COVID-19 if possible. But uh, in the patients that we have seen deliver, we have not particularly seen bad outcomes neonatally. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so you have given us quite a bit of your time. So I will get you out of here with this final question. Uh, we we've. Continuously said how you are this great doctor and you're doing great things at the hospital, but that's not all you are. You are a proud mother of five. Five, correct? Yes. Okay. So with, I wanted to ask you, we, looking at these different daily encounters, we now know we can't go jogging. We can't go shopping in Walmart. We can't be inside our own home. We can't walk (laughs) home. We can't walk home with Skittles and tea. Have have you and your husband thought about that, quote, talk that you will have with your kids as they get older? Is that something you guys have thought about? And what would that talk be like if you have?
3: So I will say that we are already there. Um, Our oldest are 14 and 12, and they are aware and following the, the news and, um, even the younger ones, I will I will try to shield them to some extent, but to another extent, not so much because I don't think ignorance is their friend. And um, we definitely talk about safety issues. Nobody's driving yet, uh, but it's focused more on looking at who you're associating with. We're blessed to live in a safe neighborhood. Uh, in a good school district. And it is definitely a blessing, but there are going to be children at these schools that are going to be able to get away with a lot more than my children. So uh, I caution them just to be very mindful of their surroundings, their circumstances. You know, we've talked about uh, not getting in the car with somebody who's been drinking but we also need to not get in the car with somebody who is reckless in any other way and potentially going to lead uh, my the kids into a situation that the primary instigator can walk away from, but then my child ends up uh, dead or damaged physically, psychologically, or spiritually by some sort of encounter that results from that. So. Sad to say, but I feel like the conversation is never too early. I know that I knew something was wrong in, in the country in terms of race relations, uh, as a preschooler, um, definitely by the time I was three or four. And, you know, Jay can tell you we had every advantage, you know, having educated grandparents, parents that were together and a middle class background. Um, but still I knew that there was something that wasn't quite right and that we weren't going to be judged based on that. We were going to be judged on the color of our skin. So I definitely have made my children aware and it is an ongoing conversation and unfortunately it's coming up almost daily. Yes. <laughs> because, yeah. of because of what's going on and it's disheartening um, but all we can do is, I, you know, I also teach them, I'm a Christian and I teach them we have to pray And I say often, this is why we have to pray, because these systems are not going to be dismantled instantaneously. And there are too many people who do not want them to be touched. So we need to pray and we need to act as much as we can. And if we're guided by the Holy Spirit, hopefully uh, even taking a bold action will be covered and protected, or we won't find ourselves giving our lives for something that's not worthy, because we don't know. We may be called to give our lives um, to fight against injustice or anything else that uh, bears witness to to Jesus Christ. And so we need to make sure that if we're going to die, let's not die because of something foolish, but let's die doing the right thing so that we can um, make this world a better place and reclaim it in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Um, Amen. So, yeah, thank you once again for coming on. I appreciate What you do, I know you don't specifically deal with, I guess, quote, COVID patients, but you're still in that medical field, and I know you guys are at risk. So we appreciate what you do, and we definitely appreciate you coming on and giving our listeners something to uh, think about and hopefully use.
3: I hope so, too, and I'm glad any time that I can be a guest on the show. I enjoy talking with you all and helping to get the word out in the community. I really appreciate Jay and Byron, what you're doing, I enjoy your podcast, and I think it's 110% relevant, and it was relevant when it started, and it only becomes more relevant as time goes on.
1: I want to thank Frank's sister, a.k.a. Dr. Towson, for uh, coming in. Uh, I appreciate her, her answers on a lot of those important questions, and uh, we just really, really enjoy having you on, and again, I hope you're being safe. Uh, Frank, I know that's your sister, but the interview was great. So you're not gonna be just saying great things just because, man. It was that was I enjoyed that.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, like I said uh, in the interview, she's 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 been a great older sister always. Um, you know, very 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 smart. Like I said, her her credentials. It would take me for the sure show to kind of list all of them, but you know, she's she's always been supportive of of you know us as an older sister, and so I'm just grateful to have her on the show. Grateful to have her share her wisdom. In a time like this, that's very important, getting, you know, getting real facts behind some things. I know there's a lot of things going around social media like, oh, there's this and there's that. But for her to kind of speak to some of the the inconsistencies, you know, and some of the issues that we've had with the spread of the virus, um, that really, I think, gave us um, some some good information going forward.
1: Yeah, definitely, man. So we we definitely enjoy everyone tuning in. We're going to get you out of here with this last topic. So about two Saturdays ago, I believe it was, uh, there was a video going around that I actually ignored at first. And then I finally watched it and it turned out to be uh, a gentleman by the name of J.W. Rossum of Miss- Mississippi. His brother and friends were like daring him to swim across this pond that was in an apartment complex in Robbinsville, Mississippi. And they're going on and on for about almost 20 minutes. Like, you know, they're saying, if you do it, we'll we'll put a down payment on your car and pay your first car note or something like that. And he's going back and forth. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And they're calling him all kind of names and just daring him and taunting him and saying how he can't do it. And, you know, the usual uh, derogatory names that you would get from, from young people uh, during a dare. And he wound up, uh, he wound up jumping in and he got about a little more than halfway across and he wound up drowning to death. And all of that is on video. So the, the the discussion after it was put out among people were the friends should be held blame for even daring him. They should have known he couldn't swim because there's a debate on whether or not he could swim or not. But they, they were wrong for daring him to do something that they know he couldn't do that could possibly turn daily. And so I'm saying, you know, while it's tragic, you know, it's just a tragic accident. And that's pretty much all it is, that they were young people, they did something stupid, but it wasn't intentional. And so just by describing, because I don't know if you saw this or not on social media, but just by me describing it, I wanted to get your take on it. He, had, uh, he was getting ready to graduate as of June 6th. He was gonna be a high school graduate he was the father of a 2 year old so that child is now without a father and uh it's it's just it's a very 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 unfortunate unnecessary sad story but it happened and i just wanted to know what do you where do you fall on you know the whole bullying thing and just daring him and how much blame should the friends and brother get for even taunting him to attempt this
0: so so yeah man i when I saw this, I mean, can they be charged? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, right? But the idea that you – swimming is a real thing. Like, if you can't swim, you don't just get in water, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. e- even a good swimmer can get swept out, right? Because I think there was a guy, um, the WWE guy, who died recently swimming with his son. Oh, yeah. And, and, and yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, and that wasn't like any kind of deer. He was swimming with his 10-year-old son. He's, he's our age, 30, I think 30, 39 years old. He swimming with his son, and he gets, they both get swept out. And a guy was able to rescue his son, but he got swept out. So I guess what I'm saying is getting in any kind of water that, that's not a swimming pool and trying to swim is dangerous. And, I, and, I, and let me just say that to people out there. Like, I get it. You know, you, can, you might be able to get a swimmer, but it's just like, I don't swim unless it's in a pool. I know how to swim. I'm an okay swimmer. I, you know, I, I know how to do different strokes stuff like that. I really know how to swim. But I think that just getting in certain uncharted bodies of water, th- there's no, you know, you don't have anybody really to come and get you. So it's like he jumps in this, you know, whatever, this lake, this pond, whatever, and they say it was like some huge drop-off in the middle, and then he basically may have gotten tired, right? You said he, we don't know if he was a good swimmer. I mean, we know he was out of shape. We know that obviously you can be you can be bigger and be a good swimmer, but chances are he might not have been a good swimmer. He might not have been in shape. So it's like he gets halfway across there, and swimming can make you really tired too. Like, I mean, for those who have ever been swimming and swimming a lot, like, you can get pretty tired. And when you're in a pool, you're like, I just get to the side. Okay, I'm tired. Now, imagine just being in the middle of, the, like, a body of water and it's so deep you can't even get up and you get kind of dragged down like that's pain and then you can panic and stuff you know like, get water into your lungs and then that's it um so I mean I would just say that his friends whether or not they get charged that's something they're going to be living with for the rest of their life they're going to have to look at that you know his daughter and explain to her why she don't have a dad well I don't, I don't know if it's a son or a daughter but I'm saying this is child and explain why he doesn't have a father you know and it's like that is that is that is pretty crazy and, and, and I don't want that in my life. I just I just thank God that I've never been in that position where I'd have to go and say, you know, tell somebody why their um you know father isn't here um because of a, a stupid dare because, you know, we wanted to mock him. I mean, if you read some of the comments like you were saying, it was like they were just kinda like really demeaning him, like, oh, you can't, you know, yeah talking yeah. about his size, calling him soft. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't like they were they were saying you can do it. It wasn't like they were like, "Oh, he's a really good swimmer." Like these things can happen where de- people die who are good swimmers. Like I know there was a guy who had a YouTube channel who he did like a lot of different stunts and he died recently. Like, but he had a a big channel with a lot of videos and he had like an accident. And and so we all know that even in the case of being good at outdoor stuff, accidents happen. And so with that being said, he should have never been put up to it. And they should have protected him. And let that be a lesson to all of us. As, as, Obviously, we're a little bit older, so we wouldn't necessarily do that. But don't let nobody talk you into doing something you're not comfortable doing. Like, don't let nobody put you in a position of life or death, you know, because, you know, they're, they're trying to mock you. Like, those aren't your friends. Those aren't your friends. And it's just sad to say that he lost his life behind that. And um, that's that's
1: really sad so they you know they didn't they didn't toss him in the water or or push him in there so i, I like what you said that i think the guilt that they carry is going to be probably punishment enough man um because you know at the end of the day he made the decision to to jump in there it is unfortunate that they they taunted him like like they did as you mentioned but um yeah, I, I think a lot of guilt is going to follow them for a very long time, if not the rest of their lives. His mother, Lakizi Rossum, plans to bury him in her backyard in in Lambert, Mississippi. She says she just wants to be able to see and visit him every day if she likes. So, um, you know, prayers go out to their family. And when I say prayers, I really mean it. I hate the empty thoughts and prayers go out. I really mean it. And I'm really going to like, pray for that family because that's when, like he had so much going on. He was getting ready to graduate, you know, so uh, very, very unfortunate, man. But that's all we have for today. Before I get Brother Frank to take us out, as I said, the recording is on a Friday night, May 29th. Uh, a lot of news about George Floyd is coming out real time. I just want to read this statement that just came out in regards to uh Mr. Floyd's death. And then I'll let Frank take us out. The autopsy revealed no physical findings that support a diagnosis of traumatic asphyxia or strangulation. Mr. Floyd had underlying health conditions, including coronary artery disease and hypertensive heart disease. The combined effects of Mr. Floyd being restrained by the police, his underlying health conditions and any potential intoxicants in his system. Likely contributed to his death. Now, I don't know if this is from the official coroner, the official autopsy, if this is just the police, uh, his defense, uh, Derek Chauvin's defense putting this out there, but I really don't like the direction that that statement is trying to go. Uh, But I don't want to jump to conclusions. We'll see how it goes, but that does not make me feel good about the potential outcome of this. And I just wanted to put that out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, just, I know I'm not going to elaborate on I'll just say one thing. I, for those of you who might not understand what I was saying about principalities and laws, that's what I meant. Laws don't eradicate principalities. Just watch it keep happening. Um, I just want to say, man, thank everybody for listening. Uh, thank my sister, Dr. Alicia Townsend, uh, for coming on and sharing her insight. Um, and just, want to thank, you know, Byron for always putting the show together. Um, I know you've been through a lot, brother. So, uh, you know, I'm here for you. Um, I just want to say that, um, you know, doing the show with you for all these years, you know, has has allowed me to be a better man, a better person, more responsible in my viewpoint, my understanding of things. And I've worked really hard uh, to be better because of the standard that you've set on the show and and what you've done. So I, I do appreciate that. I want to thank all our listeners. Um, I love you guys. I thank you for your support, you know, continue to review, rate us, subscribe, uh, like us, share us with your friends and, um, just be careful out there. There's a lot happening, but, um, use, use your, um, your sixth sense, so to speak. And, um, check on those people that you love that you haven't talked to as well. Don't let the season go by without, um, restoring lost relationships with people. Um, again, I love everyone and we'll see you very soon on an episode of politically entertaining
2: peace thank you for listening to politically entertaining be sure to subscribe to the podcast via itunes and visit politically for the latest in political news and updates